Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Crypt News Podcast. We are buzzing as always, and I am super pumped to have today's guest on the show. This lad has done it all. Today we have Scott Lowen, the CEO and COO of Candy Digital, a next-generation sports and culture digital asset platform providing authentic objects and experiences that deepen fan engagement and connect people to their passions. I'm sure you guys have seen Candy Digital blowing up online with the likes of the MLB, a bunch of other sports as well. Before launching Candy, Scott founded Parametric LP, a private investment and advisory firm focused on early stage opportunities in blockchain, fintech, art, and real estate. Did a whole bunch of everything, including running more capital management, a $15 billion global alternative investment management company. We can get into the, all the rest of that stuff too, but this is a big old intro. Scott, welcome to the show, my friend. Pumped to have you on. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I'm really excited to be here today. Pumped to have you on, man. When I get someone on with your background, your pedigree, it's always a treat and truly an honor to have you on, and I'm pumped to have you on. So many different avenues we can take this. I'd love to start with your sort of sports background as you are now running the show at Candy Digital. And for those at home, if you guys don't know what Candy Digital is, you got to go check Candy Digital out. Think of a, I don't want to say competitor, but very similar to Top Shot in some regard, taking the best parts of sports and the things we love and digitizing those. We'll get into that later. But before we get into everything, tell the listeners a little bit about your sports background and uh, why it's such a perfect fit for your position at Candy. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, you know, like like many people, certainly our customers and your listeners, I'm sure, I was really active in sports as a kid. I played lots of different sports, tried my hand at uh, at baseball, at volleyball, at track, became a big skier, snowboarder, etc. But baseball was my passion. My dad was born in Chicago on the south side. He was a lifelong Cubs fan, which, you know, for a long time was a really tough guy to be. But uh, <laughs> I, I grew up in the Midwest and in Illinois and Minnesota and Wisconsin. And so whether it was the Bears, the Packers, the Vikings, whether it was the Twins, the Brewers, or the Cottons, the White Sox, you know, my childhood was was about, you know, following sports, being part of that community, and then playing them as well. And so, you know, I think my my takeaway from that, you know, the same way that most people do is you you understand what it is to be part of a team. You understand what it is to, you know, sort of follow athletes and uh, the arc of people's career, those, you know, unbelievable moments, you know, that bring people together, that energy of being at a live event. And so when we got started with Candy in 2020, and we were really thinking about, you know, where did we see the opportunity to start to bring people into the world of Web3 and digital assets, sports was a really natural place to start, you know, from kind of our, you know, my and my co-founders personal passions to the, you know, idea that there are billions of sports fans around the world. Those fans are really, you know, communities that are sort of following the same stories, the same narratives, and that sports is ultimately about people's identity. And so digital assets can play kind of a really interesting role in the future of what it means to be a fan and how that fandom can be, you know, enhanced and extended. And so, you know, that that sort of completes the arc of my early passion to, you know, how we got our business started. I can't wait to take a deep dive into Candy and how you guys are using NFTs, blockchain tech, digital assets to deepen sort of your fans and just sports fans connections to their favorite teams. But before that, Scott, I got to ask, and you know, this is just, it's a cliche question of mine, but 
you were running the show at multiple private investment boutiques, firms, companies, whatever you want to call them, all very successful, did very well. This seems like a huge risk. So not late, but this seems like a, you know, a risk to take on the back nine of a career. Why take the huge risk and jump to Web3, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, no, it's a great question. It's certainly when my wife asks me from time to time when I'm, when I'm working around the clock. But uh, I mean, all seriousness, I started out actually not in sports or in finance. My background is, is in architecture. I'm an MIT grad who graduated with a degree in architecture and then ended up in finance. And so my finance career, you know, I did a number of different things, was always kind of around building. And so, you know, building new products, helping to create new markets, finding new opportunities for, for people to participate in the business. And so that idea, or, you know, I guess my, my initial passion for architecture and building was also based around curiosity. And, you know, for the bulk of my career, that was around curiosity of the intersection of tech, not technology and finance. And when I learned about blockchain kind of 2012, 2013, that was the lens that I was looking at it through. What did this mean for finance? You know, was Bitcoin going to be a new currency? Was it a new store of value? Was it a transaction processing network? Was it a scam? You know, was it a capital raising tool? And so, you know, that curiosity around ultimately, you know, what role would blockchain play in finance extended to this idea of in 2020, what we had seen was institutions increasingly moving into the space, big pools of capital, whether those are the fidelities of the world or hedge funds or high net worth individuals. And so my curiosity and kind of my own investment activity sort of led me to the place to say, this is really powerful and transformative technology, whether it's around digital collectibles, whether it's around store of value, whether it's ultimately around you know, distributed world computers. There are many, many different places where the idea of applying blockchain, the idea of authenticated ownership, the idea of composability, decentralization are going to have a profound impact. And I couldn't not get involved. I've been an active investor, but I missed being a builder. And so that was really sort of what brought me back uh, was wanting to, you know, get into the space and build something that hadn't been done before that I certainly hadn't done before. I love that. It seems uh, there's so many similarities between business and sports. It's crazy. You know, like you were... Yep. You were sort of like the coach, which I find is more of the investor where you're sort of picking and choosing. And now you're back in the GM role where you're literally, you know, building the whole team. It's just, it's always so cool. Let's get into candy for a sec. I got to ask before we jump in, how much did you guys snag the domain name for? Because that is a world-class domain. That's candy.com. That's, you know, that doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> that is a uh, closely guarded secret. Let's just say that one of our early board members was sort of instrumental in helping us to acquire that, got excited about it. And I think as we were thinking about what the company was going to be about, what we were going to call it, how it was going to be positioned, you know, we spent a lot of time thinking about fan. We spent a lot of time thinking about, you know, some of the things that connect were recognizable in the blockchain space. And ultimately, when we really thought about what the future of digital assets were, you know, our belief is that they're going to become ubiquitous, right? Over the next 10 plus years, digital assets are going to connect content, they're going to connect brands, they're going to connect products to customers. And so 
well, sports is where we're starting. You know, the idea of an NFT is something that is, should have broad appeal. And so a name like Candy is one that, you know, can be applied in lots of different places. It's something that everyone has generally a po- pretty positive affiliation with. And so it made sense. And the domain was available. You know, it wasn't free, but, you know, from a brand <laughs> value perspective, it's pretty important. At least give me one thing here, Scott. How long was the previous owner sitting on that for? I feel like that's got to be like a 20-year legacy domain. Well, no, the previous owner actually was a candy company. So they had been, you know, they'd had that domain for quite some time. I think we're probably a little surprised when they found out who ended up buying it, you know, that that we weren't Hershey's on the other end. (laughs) (laughs) Not a competitor, yeah. I love that. Let's jump into the Web3 side of things for a second. And before we get right into candy, I'd love if you could take a deep dive on sort of the intersection of Web3 and sports and how Web3 in particular can elevate the sports industry. We've seen some incredible companies like yourselves, like Candy, who is coming in and have found a bunch of really interesting ways to create that overlap. A lot of obviously digital collectibles, authentication, fantasy stuff, ticketing, watch to earn, ownerships, the whole nine yards, popes. What are some of these areas that you know tickle your fancy the most? And uh, what are some of the new areas that really haven't popped up yet that you hope to see in the next couple of years? Yeah, I think there are unlimited is maybe too many, but there are a huge number of places where NFTs can play a really meaningful role in sports. We obviously got our business started in the digital collectible space. And when we started Candy, it really in at the end of 2020, you know, I like to say at that point, very few people knew how to spell NFT, right? And, you know, unless you were in the crypto community, like you didn't really know what an NFT was. Certainly the broader market, sports leagues, teams, et cetera, so true. were talking about it. And so our vision when we started was that we knew that digital assets were going to be really important components, but we also felt that there was going to be a, a longer run up. And so as we kind of thought about what candy was going to be, We really thought about this spectrum of physical collectibles, the fractionalized ownership of physical collectibles that could be on chain, and then ultimately digital-only collectibles. In the beginning of 2021, suddenly, you know, the shot heard around the world was top shot catching fire, right? That really accelerated our plans around, okay, you know, yes, we see that spectrum of physical to digital, but we really need to lean into the digital space and make sure that we're having conversations with leagues about not just what a digital collectible is, but our broader vision for what a connected fan experience is through NFTs. And so digital collectibles are kind of the on-ramp because there's a, you know, there's an obvious corollary to somebody who has been a baseball card collector or a basketball card collector, someone who has signed memorabilia, somebody who watches old highlight reels from the NFL, suddenly this idea of being able to own those, having the scarcity and rarity uh, characteristics, getting connected to that community is a pretty good on-ramp, not just for crypto native folks, but for people kind of coming in at the, at the first time. Our vision though, really from the jump was this wasn't just about, you know, minting a moment you could own and, and that's all that it is. Our vision was really looking at what is the fan experience of watching a game on television, going to the stadium, collecting a card, connecting to a community, owning a piece of memorabilia, and where can a digital asset enhance and extend that experience so that at the end of the day, yes, scarcity and rarity, something that connects you to that story and you know may be more valuable over time, 
is a really important component of the entire collectibles market, digital, physical. But really, our view was this was a new way to actually measure fan engagement. Because if you go to a game and give a digital ticket, that's a measure of your engagement, right? Yeah. If you Very own true. that team's digital trading cards, right, that shows that you're a fan and a collector. If you participate in an online challenge, trivia challenge, right, that, that's, again, a record of, of who you are and your connection to the sport, the team, the individual. So that information actually doesn't exist anywhere, right? And the power of, of having that tokenized it on blockchain really becomes the underlying infrastructure of what kind of the new fan club is, right? Because now, as more people enter the space, as more people start to engage with these assets, whether they purchase them or they get them for, you know, a co-op from their experience or a digital ticket, you've got a direct measure on who those who those true fans are. And so, you know, I'm sitting in New York City, and so let's say that you're a Mets fan. The Mets can now see through our partnership with Major League Baseball who are the biggest owners of Mets NFTs, who's gotten more Mets digital tickets to the game. And so the next time that they, that person goes they might have an opportunity to go to bat and practice early, right? They might have an opportunity to meet a player. That new kind of one-to-one relationship and that sort of true record of fandom and engagement, like, we see that as the future of sports. That is so true. Like, again, I'm looking at the Rogers Center right now, Toronto Blue Jays, you know, home stadium. I'm trying to think of how many games, I've probably been to a couple hundred games in my life, like, no one knows how many games I've been to. I don't get a nice little pat on the back. Do I deserve a pat on the back? That's up for debate. But I mean, if I did get a pat on the back, I'd probably be more inclined to buy a new, you know, Bo Bichette or Vladdy Grow Jr. jersey. So it's it's so true. And you, I feel like a lot of consumers don't really look at it like that, right? Which is very well, interesting. Well, it's interesting, right? It, 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 you know, people don't think about it this way, but sports teams are brands, right? Yeah. They're brands that represent entertainment, their brands that represent a business, their brands that represent a community. And most of the big brands in the world, right, want to know who their customers are. They want to reward their best customers, yeah. right? They want to provide opportunities to their customers. And so, you know, we really see blockchain as the way to unlock that for fans on a global basis. Well said. Very good point. That I, I, yeah, I can't wait for that. That's got to be what five to ten years out when physical tickets are sort of gonzo. It like when when you go into the stadium nowadays, anyway, whether it's hockey, basketball, sports event, concert, you don't even use physical tickets. It's literally just you download the ticket from Ticketmaster or Game Time or wherever, and then double tap your wallet app, and boom, you let you and your friends in. You're off to the races. How far out are we from like the whole NFT blockchain tech really? digitizing and taking over traditional ticketing methods. So we're getting there. There are a number of smaller companies that have, you know, been playing around with NFT tickets right. for smaller events, music performances, nonprofit events, etc. At the large scale, sport teams, leagues, you know, mega concerts, you have some pretty big incumbents there who aren't ready to move in that direction. What we've done is we've said, listen, what is it? What, what did it mean to get a ticket to an event, right? You know, when I grew up, I got paper tickets when I went to ball games, right? And I would take those paper or I went to a concert. I'd take those paper tickets. I'd put them in my bulletin board or in my shoebox, right? Yeah. That's part of my story, right? That's part of my identity. And, you know, as you just referenced, when it, when it's a QR code on your phone or it's a printout from Ticketmaster, you know, there's no, no real sentimental value there. And so, We've created digital commemorative tickets, 
And those digital commemorative tickets are dynamic assets. They update with the, you know, the outcome of the game, the box scores of the game. So they cool. are multimedia, right? They represent, there are images and in some cases video um, from those games, right? From the teams, etc. And again, they become a much more interesting asset to tell your story as part of your overall collection. Over time, we see that ticket ultimately becoming part of that same ticket that gets you into the stadium. But we also see it as something that can become this kind of interesting communication device. As I said, that record of your experience, but it also could be something that gives you an opportunity for a discounted Jersey, right? You went to 10 Blue Jays games and, you know, now you were your 10th digital ticket, you get 20% off a Jersey, right? You know, when you're in the stadium, it's also something that can become much more dynamic in real time. Let's say you're sitting in the bleachers and, you know, your favorite player hits a home run, your digital ticket now has a video of that home run. So when you're thinking about it, right, as part of your journey, not only do you have the information, you actually have that moment that you were there for. So we're really excited about that future. Super cool. We've, we've discussed a good amount on the qualitative aspects of NFT tech, what you guys are working on, of course, and the intersection with sports. I'd love if we could jump more to the quantitative side. Quantitative and finance are sort of just hand in hand. They're synonymous to each other. When you're pitching the MLB or a different sports league or an individual team or let's just say athletic stakeholder X, like anything else in life, you usually there's two aspects to, to the decision. There's the qualitative and the quantitative. Most of the time, unfortunately or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, the quantitative reasoning does outweigh the qual. It's like, how much money am I going to make? All right, Scott, if you and your, and your team can make me a shitload of money, I don't really care. That's just sort of how it works in life, right? Price, service, expertise, the three big things in which almost every single decision are made in. How do you and the team pitch financial upside? How do you pitch monetizing opportunities within athletics for sports team, leagues, the whole nine yards? What, is it, what do those conversations sound like? How do you, how do you and the team go through that workflow? Yeah. So I guess what I'd say is that, you know, the pitch is very different today than it was two years ago, right? right. You know, in the beginning of 2021, when the market was kind of catching fire and you sort of said, okay, what's the TAM of the NFT space, right? Total addressable market. Massive. <laughs> it's really hard to, it's really hard to put a number on that, right? You know, one, one answer, which is a little cheeky, it's what's the TAM of culture, right? Because if you think about, you know, how big well the sports industry, the entertainment industry, the, you know, cultural and arts industry are. Those are all opportunities for NFTs to play a role. Obviously, the numbers that we saw in the beginning of and, and over the course of 2021 and the early 2022 have come down dramatically, right? You know, by some measures, um, you know, some projects and, and volumes are down 95, 97%, right? We were pretty, I would say, circumspect, even at the height of the market, saying that we didn't think those numbers were viable for the long term. Right. And, you know, to, to your point about quantitative versus qualitative, what happened very quickly in the sports space was, you know, when we would go in and, and have the conversation about this is the future of fan engagement, this is going to be digital assets are going to be the glue that binds connected communities together. Sports teams and leagues understood that very quickly. It just the conversation moved to okay, but how much? How much are you going to pay us? Right, of course. And so, because the market 
you know, caught a lot of attention, a lot of players, a lot of capital into it. The conversation very quickly moved to um, how many millions of dollars of minimum guarantees could the leagues and the teams get for their for their license rights. You know, I think in this market, a lot of those deals that got signed, you know, were sort of predicated on trees growing to the sky forever. Right. And a number of those deals are going away or being renegotiated because the, you know, they they were off by hundreds of millions of dollars. Of yeah. Today, you know, leagues and teams are still interested in, you know, revenue. They view this as a new licensing stream, but I think that they're starting to understand that the businesses like Candy that are sort of still around and sort of, you know, thinking about this more broadly, you know, maybe a different perspective on the long, what long-term partnership is, as opposed to let's drop a collection and, you know, see how much money we can take off the table. Yeah. Well said there. It's also, it's like as, as big and valuable as these organizations are. And by organizations, I mean, these world-class sports leagues, it's like, there aren't a lot of experts like your team who can come in and move and groove and ship and execute at the speed in which you guys do. And I feel like those partnerships in and of itself are extremely valuable where you guys can come in and not only sort of advise them, but give them the game plan and then partner and make the most out of their IP. And like we live in such a digital world nowadays where it's like, if you're not taking advantage and if you're not getting the most every ounce out of your IP, like your hoops, like you're literally just shooting yourself in the foot. Like, you know, we live in a digital world and I'm sure you and I both spend way too much time on our phone more than we should. And, you know, we're not even the worst. Look at the young, look at the youngins. They're living on their phone. It's like, if you can get your product out to the masses and keep recycling that and putting value on that, the rest gonna, it's going to take care of itself. But yeah, crazy. I just think back to 2021, just like well, you know what you discussed when I know you guys were really popping off. Top Shot was popping off. Like the valuations on these NFT companies, it was absolute bananas, right? Like you was so rare and everything else. It was it was insane. It was just it was money printing season population us. It was crazy. Yeah, I mean, I think what you saw back then, and this sort of goes back to my you know finance days, was no one saw the NFT market coming. Yeah, obviously the dedicated crypto investors had been investing during the previous crypto winter, right? Sort of 2017 to, to 2020. But the traditional VC community didn't even know what an NFT was for the most part, right? And so suddenly when you see companies doing hundreds of millions of dollars of revenue at a particular month, that gets a lot of people's attention. Of course. And the VC community said, hey, we're massively underexposed to this space that could be huge. And then you have a bit of a feeding frenzy of people who want to invest, right? And that pushes valuations up and a bunch of businesses that aren't real businesses get funded. And so all the excesses of a, you know, of a bubble happen pretty quickly. No, it's so true. I want to go back to you and the team shipping things incredibly quickly for one second. We can give a bunch of examples, but like Anthony Volpe's first hit, shortstop for the Yanks, absolute stud. Um, but yeah, there's just, there's so many instances over the, even just this MLB season where I'm following you guys and your team comes out with a new NFT literally like 12 hours after this event happens. I'm so impressed by that because again, if in this industry and furthermore in a crossover industry of sports and NFTs, if you're not shipping shit at an just absolutely absurdly quick speed, you're going to fall behind. You guys do that time after time after time after time. 
what's the secret sauce to this? Like, do you guys just have a bulletproof workflow? Like how quickly are you talking to the MLB to get those digital assets? Like, I'm so curious and intrigued to how you guys just ship things at a lightning bolt pace all the time. It's crazy. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad you noticed that and appreciate that because uh, it, it, a lot of work goes into it. But I, I think it goes back to kind of our fundamental view, you know, what the value in these various collectibles and assets are. We took a different approach to video than some others did, right? We, you know, we certainly uh, see video as a as an important dynamic element in a collectible. And in our core product, our digital icon cards, you know, video is a component of those. But we also really believe videos about capturing the excitement of that moment as close to when it happened as possible, yeah. right? And so when we built out our tech platform and the tooling that we use, it was very much with the idea that how can we ultimately get to the place, as I said, where you're sitting in the stadium and an event happens, how quickly can we get that moment to you as an opportunity to commemorate that? And so we're at the place now where we can kind of do that, you know, at the end of the game day, when MLB determines its play of the day, after the last game, you know, that's generally somewhere between like, you know, 10 p.m. and midnight, we can turn that around and mint that the next morning, right? And so really being able to offer the fan the ability to own that exciting moment. And we're continuing to try to push that, right? We're, we want to make that as real time as, as we ultimately can, but it's very much part of the design of our of our tooling and our process. I love that. Scott, we got to take a quick break and give a huge shout out to our sponsor of the show. And when we get back, we are going to talk about what is next for Candy Digital. And we are going to take a deep dive into Scott's and got to get at you for some advice. Too much good stuff to not be picking away there. Huge shout out to Prime XBT. We love these guys at Crypto News. They offer a robust trading system for both beginners and professional traders. It doesn't matter if you're a rookie or a vet, you can easily design and customize your layouts and widgets to best fit your trading style. Prime XPT is also running an exclusive promo for listeners of the Crypto News Pod. The promo code is CryptoNews50 to receive 50% of your deposit credited to your trading account that can be used as additional collateral to open positions. Again, that is CryptoNews50, all one word, to receive 50% of your deposit credited to your trading account. Scott, before we get into you, Give me the TLDR on what is next for Candy Digital. Again, you guys are popping off with a bunch of things. Heck, every day it seems like you guys are releasing stuff. You guys always have the plays of the week, the MLB Showstopper packs. The You celebrated the first MLB hits of Jordy Walker and Anthony Volpe. I mean, I love Volpe, but I hate him because I feel like he's going to be a menace for the Jays for the next like 20 years to come. But nonetheless, what are you and the team currently building and planning on shipping over the next couple months and couple years? Yeah, so I guess a, a couple things, you know, baseball, uh, Major League Baseball is our biggest partner. And so, you know, we've been very focused with the start of the season on, on getting our 2023 products out. We have other great partners as well. In March, we launched our partnership with Getty Images. Getty Images is the largest image archive on the planet, 477 million images, Jeez. you know, that really track back to the invention of the camera and some of the most important events in the history of the world. And so, bringing some of those, you know, important and culturally relevant images on chain. We're really excited about. We did our WrestleMania activation with WWE a few weeks ago when that was happening out in LA. And so, you know, bringing wrestling fans into the space, you know, we've got some plans for our next iteration with NASCAR and the NASCAR racing teams coming up. And so baseball is kind of our first and most significant partner, but we're really excited about continuing to build with our other partners as well. 
On the platform side, we also have been really focused on increasing our engagement, our tooling around challenges and gamification. And so we launched a few weeks ago our Codebreakers product. And so that gives any owner of our MLB assets on a weekly basis the opportunity to complete challenges. Those are, you know, trivia-related challenges, puzzle-related challenges, earn points, increase their position on the leaderboard. And so, you know, kind of goes back to the idea that, you know, as a collectible, listen, we absolutely want our collectibles to be important to our customers and, you know, more valuable over time. But we also want them to be able to engage with them, right? You know, we think they're beautifully designed dynamic assets, but, you know, it's more fun to be able to play a game or complete a challenge with them as well. And so, you know, continuing to build on that front. And then as we sort of look forward over the course of the year, you know, we are, even despite the challenging market, excited about connecting back to the broader Web3 community. In many ways, you know, when we when we launched our platform, we sort of positioned it to bring the everyday fan into the space. Just bring an email and a credit card and you can own your first digital asset on Candy. But ultimately, you know, it's important to connect back to the broader Web3 ecosystem allow people to connect a wallet, start to, you know, self-custody those assets, think about composability across platforms. And so we're going to start to release some of those features over the course of the next couple of quarters as well. I love that. Yeah, you got to go go back to the classic Web3 degens. It's it's such a crazy sort of paradox between the, the you know, 16-hour on NFT Twitter folks, like the purebred degens versus the, you know, someone like my parents who would perhaps get one, but would take a bit of convincing, you know, would definitely be down to provide an email and credit card if you told them to sign up for MetaMask or Phantom or any other Web3 wallet to self-house their, you know, their beautiful candy assets. They'd they'd tell me to fly a kite, but that's just, uh, it's interesting, you know, and I, I guess just a quick follow-up and before we get into you, how do you and the team sort of decide on that? Like, how do you from an outsider's perspective with your tech stack and how seamless it is and how little friction there is, it seems like the obvious choice is to go after the larger part of the market, which would be the non-Web3 folks. But again, it seems like the 80-20 rule, like any, like everything else in life, it feels like those Web3 folks perhaps are the ones that could be bringing in all the dough. Like how, how do you and the team sort of decide and, and, uh, and choose which avenue to go? Yeah, well, I think, you know, we, we sort of made the strategic decision out of the gates to say we were going to build something that was much more Web 2.5 to start, right? right much more right. of a traditional e-commerce experience, particularly with our with our partners, right? Major League Baseball had experimented a little bit uh, with blockchain, but in a much more crypto native way. They were excited about how do we expand this to a much broader universe of, of fans and customers. And so making that really easy was important. For some of our other partners, this was their first foray into the Web3 space. And so making sure that what we were presenting was something that resonated with them and their customers, again, that kind of seamless experience was quite important. That said, you know, we spend a lot of time listening to our customers and our, our customers and our collectors are not shy about what they'd like to see on the platform, you know, new ideas, different ways to improve. And, you know, I, I probably, you know, my biggest frustration and our team's biggest frustration is we, we, you know, we'd love to make as many of those improvements, enhancements and features available as quickly as we can. It's only so many hours in the day. 
But we also, you know, we do know that some of our biggest customers are active in Web3, right? They are crypto native. And so that's an important component. And so I think we we started down the path with an eye to always opening up. And now we're getting to the place where that connectivity and that composability is the next step. Well said. Let's jump into Scott for a second. Scott, you've had obviously an incredible career and it is not over yet. You, I mean, on paper, it seems like, heck, you've probably achieved everything you wanted to. Um, again, this is me looking in from the outside. I could very well be incredibly wrong there. I feel like a lot of young men and women would aspire to have a career like yours, working through the, 30, the sort of TradFi route, and then, you know, tickling their own fancy a little later on in life, joining something that's a little unorthodox and then well, on top of that, also on the same side, rather also hitting something that you're very passionate about in sports and baseball. What advice would you give to maybe, you know, a 20 year old, 21 year old grad getting out of school who's got a 40 year career ahead of them? Um, you've seemed to have done it the right way. What advice would you give to someone new, a new 20 year old or perhaps 20 year old Scott? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting one. You know, I, I think. And I don't, maybe this is controversial, maybe it isn't right. I think the easy answer for a lot of people is, you know, is follow your passion. And I think that sounds great, but I'm not sure that uh, people necessarily really think through what that means. And I guess what I, what I would say is absolutely follow the things that you're passionate about and invest the time in exploring those, understanding sort of where they fit in your life, but make sure you're structuring your life in a way where that can be sustainable. You know, I think everyone aspires to get to a place where what you're doing to earn your income doesn't feel like work, right? It, it, it's an expression of who you are. It aligns with your interests, your values, your community, etc. But it takes some. It takes some trying to get there. Yeah. And so, you know, the way that you know I thought about my career, as I said, you know, I went to school to be a nuclear physicist. I graduated with a degree in architecture, and I became a finance guy. <laughs> That wasn't necessarily because I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. I came from a very sort of humble background. I paid my way through college. I worked five jobs. You know, I knew that in order to do the things that I wanted to do, to travel, to get involved in the arts, to, you know, go see sports, to do those things, I needed a stable income and a job that challenged me and excited me. And, you know, the world of finance is sort of where I found that. I figured I'd try that for two years and, you know, then come back and be an architect or do something different. And, you know, 25 years later, I was still doing it. The reason I did it is because it was super dynamic. I worked with amazing people. It was incredibly competitive, which appeals to my nature. And it was at the forefront of, of how the world was changing in many ways from a technology and an economic perspective. And so, you know, that worked for me and that, you know, that's not going to work for a lot of people. But what I would say is, as you think about, you know, how you're going to experiment, what you're going to put your time in, give yourself a, a base, right? Put yourself in a position where you know you can carve out the space to explore those different things. And when you find that thing that really captures you, you're in a much better position to do that than, you know, kind of throwing yourself out into the wind and then having it not work out and being in a tougher position going forward. So. And, you know, maybe, maybe that's well old said. guy wisdom, but uh, no. those are certain, certainly the lessons I, I have taken away. It's very well said. I also think that the advice of follow your passion is just, I think it's bollocks and nonsensical because a lot of times, like what people are passionate about, they aren't good at. And if you're not good at something, like you're probably yeah. not going to do, you know what I mean? Like, like I'm, I, I love golfing, you know, could I ever go pro? 
I mean, probably not. Like, you know what I mean? Like, is it my passion? Yeah, but am I going to give up my whole life to try to join the tour or live? Not a chance. That'd be nonsensical, right? Well, I think, yeah, and I think that's, I think that's exactly right. And I think, you know, another way to think about it is when you say follow your passion, it's to understand why you're passionate about a certain thing, right? Yeah. You know, is it the thing itself or is it the competitive nature? Is it the intellectual challenge? Is it the people that you encounter when you're doing those yeah. things, right? And so if you, if you sort of break it down, it can go from being one thing to being many things, right? And it sort of opens up that window. Well said. A couple more questions here, Scott. On the hiring, you've obviously hired and fired probably hundreds of people, which is never a fun thing to do. What are your favorite interview questions? Or if you just have, let's say you you were in an elevator with a potential candidate or at dinner, whatever, what's your one go-to question to sort of see what's truly inside of someone? What are their moral fibers made up of? What's their composition? What's that one question that you always ask to sort of hit someone where it matters? Yeah, I don't I don't know that I have one particular question that, you know, that sort of unlocks the key to each person. I, I will say you know, there, there are probably two questions that I ask pretty frequently, you know, after I kind of get through people's backgrounds and why they did what they did and what they learned and what they accomplished and what, you know, which they wish they did better at, which is outside of work, you know, what are you passionate about? Yeah. What do you get excited about? Who, who are you as a person, right? You know, we all bring different things to the job. And so, so that's important. And then the other one is if I bumped into your friends walking down the street and I said, tell me about Matt, what would they say? And that's a really interesting question because uh, people interpret it different ways. And so I think those two things tell you a lot about you know who that person is and, and how they're going to be his colleague. Well said, yeah. Again, a lot, lot of very similar to sports, you know, how you make that team. A lot of time the culture sort of outweighs the everything else. Crazy. Last question, Scott. Hot Take Factory, you and, you and me jumping in, put our shit kicking boots on, knee high, getting down and dirty. Give me a couple Scott hot takes before we let you go. It doesn't have to be sort of Web3 related or crypto related. It can be health, wealth, happiness, sports, politics, if you want to get super spicy, anything. But give me a couple Scott hot takes before we go. Wow. Uh, this is a new one. I say my hot take right now is AI. Not, not that this isn't on people's radar screens, but I don't think people are quite ready for how fundamental the changes are going to be over the course of the next 12 to 24 months around yeah. the impact of AI. And that's everything from stock prices to the websites that we use, the tools that are available, the new business opportunities, the businesses that are going to fail because they're impacted. I think we're just getting started seeing what that looks like. And I think it's going to happen a lot more quickly than, than people expect. I think in the crypto and NFT space, unfortunately, I think things are going to be tougher longer. You know, things like Pepe and meme coin of the week or whatever it is, we're going to, we're going to see these blips. But on the back end of this, you're going to have a, you know, a much more stable, much more, I would say sort of optimistic next phase of this that's going to be a lot more broad uh, broad beyond traditional crypto native folks brands ip owners you know businesses are going to adopt this next wave in a really significant uh, way i think that will also surprise people and then i'd say um the uh, next election cycle is going to be a pretty tough one so uh, buckle in yeah <laughs> why well, well, if you could expand on the last point that'd be great i think there's a reasonable chance that we see a third party candidate that turns our traditional two party system upside down because i think people are frustrated whether you're a democrat or republican 
I think people are frustrated and uninspired by the, the two inevitable choices. And so I think you, um, you might see a fundamental shift in the way that American presidential races run, which uh, I think is going to be exciting. And uh, that'd be bananas. Yeah, bananas. <laughs> you're, you're, you're bang on about that, though. There's a couple of people that come to mind, one being Tucker, who has the following. It's crazy nowadays how I feel like, unless you're a traditional legacy candidate like Joe Biden, I feel like you can't even really run unless you're stupid popular. Like it's just, it's almost like a popularity contest nowadays. It's crazy. No, it's a, that's a whole other podcast. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the system is ripe for change. It is. It's truly bonkers. Scott, really appreciate your time. This was an absolute treat of an episode. Learned a ton. We'll definitely be re-listening to this uh, and super proud of, of you and the team at Candy. You guys are moving and grooving and absolutely tearing it up. Before you go, please let our listeners know where they can find you and Candy Digital online and on socials. Yeah, so you can find me on LinkedIn and Twitter and uh, Candy, it's www.candy.com. Come check out our MLB products, our Getty products, our WWE products, uh, get connected with the community on Discord and uh, help us build the future fandom together. You got it. And that is Candy Digital on Twitter and on most other socials as well. And as everything, I will include all of the good stuff in the show notes. Huge shout out to Scott for coming on the show and dropping knowledge bombs left, right, and center. A chiseled exec who is moving and grooving with the team at Candy Digital, creating a bunch of next-gen sports and culture digital asset platform. We love to see it. Do go check it out, guys. They are such a cool company and have some incredible stuff on the back burner. Go check them out as always. To the listeners, love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. To the team, appreciate you as always. Used to ask my amazing sound editor. Appreciate you and back to the listeners. Keep on growing those bags and keep on staying healthy, wealthy, and happy. Bye for now and we'll talk soon.